Servus Freunde, my name is Jimmy Cage and when that beautiful blue Studio Ghibli title card appeared on the big screen, there was an audible sigh of longing and joy coming from the audience. I was lucky enough to have seen Hayao Miyazaki's latest film The Boy and the Heron at the Vienna International Film Festival. The release of a new Studio Ghibli film has become something truly special, something that doesn't happen that often anymore almost not happening at all anymore. And this might as well be the very last one. The studio as it once has been is long gone. Nothing is forever and time will change everything. Which is also one of the main themes of this film. This film that now probably finally will be the last feature length film by Hayao Miyazaki. One of the greatest artists of not just our time. It was certainly not the first time that he has retired and then came back to make one more final film, but the gap certainly became bigger and Miyazaki is now in his 80s. It has been exactly 10 years since his last film, The Wind Rises, which was when he officially retired. But he just can't help himself. Animation is his life and so he returned and now after 7 years of production, The Boy and the Heron is finally here and will be embraced by animation lovers all over the world. Miyazaki is one of my absolute favorite filmmakers of all time. A few years ago I did a retrospective on the channel where I delve deep into all of his films. So if you're interested you might want to check out this playlist. You can also find out there why his previous final film, The Wind Rises, unfortunately just wasn't able to fully get me. There was always some frustration with that one for me. So I was actually really hoping that this one might turn out to be a better swan song, at least for me personally. And it is. But it's also a film that I find very hard to really grasp after just one viewing. In many regards it's very similar to his previous work. You will find a lot of themes and motifs in there that are quite familiar. It might even be described as a little best of if you will. Yet at the same time it's quite different and unlike any other film he has done before. His films have always been very rich, very profound and deep, very rewarding and fulfilling. They could go deep into the fantastical or depict scenes that might be very close to actual everyday life. They were wonders of imagination and just enchant and move you. The documentary on Studio Ghibli that was released 10 years ago very fittingly had the title The Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. So it's no surprise that The Boy and the Heron once again takes us on a wild and creative journey. Like his previous film, it is set in an actual very real time and place though, which is Japan during World War II. The year is 1942 to be precise. But then we are also entering several different fantastical worlds inside fantastical worlds. But what I felt with this movie even more than with others before is a rather abrupt and more cryptic stream of consciousness. The narrative flows from here to there and the logic is very dreamlike. Hayao Miyazaki always had a very special way of not just telling his stories but of making his stories. He doesn't work with an actual screenplay that then gets turned into an animated movie. The animation itself is the process of making the movie. You might say that he makes his film up as it's happening. He is constantly storyboarding his tale that then gets animated by all the talented and super hardworking staff at Ghibli, with him usually overseeing every single frame. As far as I know, this time around he couldn't manage to inspect every single frame because of his age and the tremendous workload. According to producer and longtime collaborator Toshio Suzuki, this is actually the most expensive Japanese film ever made. 
But coming back to my point about the feel and style of this film, it's very open for interpretation. It feels looser, even more surreal than his previous ones, and overall quite philosophical. Which can also be quite rewarding, but it can also be challenging, which is good, but maybe also a bit frustrating or even underwhelming. There were times where it came close to losing me a little bit. Some of the side characters and even our main protagonist felt a bit underwritten and flat towards the end. And the emotional punch wasn't as big as I was expecting it to be. I certainly have to watch it again and after just one viewing, I'm really not yet sure where it falls for me. Which might sound harsher and more critical than it's meant to be. But with a Hayao Miyazaki film, the expectations are of course tremendous. Let's go back to the beginning. The original title of The Boy and the Heron is Kimitachi Wado Ikidoka, which translates to How Do You Live? And which is a reference to the 1937 novel of the same name by Genzaburo Yoshino. A novel that even appears in the film at one point. But the film itself isn't an adaptation, it is Miyazaki's own original, and like many times before, it features a lot of very autobiographical touches. It's the story of a young boy, the 12-year-old Maito, who in the very first sequence of the film loses his mother in a big fire in Tokyo in the midst of World War II. The way that event is portrayed, the way it is animated, is incredible. Right there at the beginning, the movie goes into this very expressionistic style of animation that makes the flames come to life in a special way, that shows the fire's devastating effect on everything that is consumed by it. Almost needless to say that The Boy and the Heron features absolutely gorgeous, traditional hand-drawn animation. It's just beautiful. And while it obviously carries the typical Miyazaki style, it still is able to create its own unique personality and atmosphere. The loss of the mother and the fact that Mahito's father remarries and brings a new mother figure into his life, who happens to be the late mother's younger sister, that's the inciting incident here. And the movie is very much a coming-of-age story at heart, in which a young boy has to live through some big changes in his life and come to terms with what it means to live and to let go. After the fire in Tokyo, the movie changes the scenery as Mahito is brought to the countryside, where he lives with several old mates. And when you see those old mates, you certainly know you are watching a Miyazaki film. This juxtaposition of the very realistic depiction of the world with the way these old women are drawn, it's just great. The same goes for the titular heron, which is this mysterious animal that shows up at the country estate and even begins to talk to Maito. First, it's just a very naturalistic looking bird, but soon it shows its true colors and those are rather grotesque. Transformations have always been a trademark in Miyazaki's films. Transformations of characters, objects, castles or entire worlds, both on the inside and outside. It's this heron that claims Maito's mother is still alive and that he should enter a mysterious tower. Unlike in Spirited Away, it takes quite a while until we enter the realm of the truly fantastical. But in no way does that mean that the movie is dragging or uneventful until then. It was actually really resonating with me, how it depicts the struggle of this young boy. There's a beauty, but also a sadness and melancholy to the images. And of course also a tremendous nostalgia and joy to finally seeing a new Miyazaki film on the big screen. And it's not just a tremendous nostalgia and joy to have Miyazaki back in our lives, but it's also a tremendous nostalgia and joy to listen to a new score by the legendary and also longtime collaborator Joe Hisaishi. It's another beautiful score. Rather simple, I think, but very moving. 
I wish that I could listen to it again, but right now I just couldn't find it anywhere on YouTube or Spotify. The Boy and the Heron will very likely mark Miyazaki's last feature-length gift to the world. The icing on the cake of his legacy. There's a character later on that feels very much like a stand-in for the director himself. Someone who's carefully juggling all these magical worlds. Again, like in previous films, Miyazaki has a strong focus on people at the two extremes of a human being's lifespan. A protagonist whose life really has just begun and looking after him, old ladies at the end of their lives. And the just-mentioned character who looks after that mysterious strange place. Miyazaki brings his themes of optimism and hope, even in spite of all the terrible things happening in the world. Miyazaki has always been someone who is very frustrated with the things going on in the world and yet he somehow always preserved his hope in the youngest generation that they will somehow make a better world nevertheless. And it's also a film about letting go, saying goodbye. And this should also be said, it's also a film about a lot of crazy birds, which was kind of hilarious at times. Surprisingly, there was a lot of kind of a dark humor to this to this tale of man-eating birds. Like I previously mentioned, in the second half it sometimes ran the risk of losing me and I think it might be a bit too erratic and some elements felt as if they should have been fleshed out some more. Sometimes I missed some more connective tissue or that the worlds themselves didn't feel completely real at times. Maybe even slightly stale somehow, which reminded me of one of the truly lesser Ghibli movies, Tales of Earthsea. Also because the character work didn't feel as strong as in Miyazaki's other films for me. Both the pirate lady and the fire girl that Maito meets are fine, but I wouldn't call them as profound or memorable as Miyazaki's older creations. The same goes for this, I guess, fascist bird, who I felt was somehow underdeveloped. But then again, there are always moments that are so beautiful or spectacular or thought-provoking and it's certainly a film that I have to watch again to make up my mind about it some more. So in German I'd say, Hayao Miyazaki's vermeintlicher Schwanengesang ist vermutlich sein interpretierfreudigstes Werk. Ein surrealer, melancholischer Bilderreigen, wunderschön von Hand animiert und ein würdiger Abschied eines absoluten Ausnahmekünstlers. It's really quite hard to give this a rating just now. Somewhere between 7 and 8 feels right. So I will give it an 8 out of 10 for now. It's more like 7.5, but I don't do that. Alright, that's it like always. Comment below and let me know what you think about The Boy and The Heron. You can hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd and also on Patreon simply at The Jimmy Cage. And if you enjoyed this episode, please give me a thumbs up, share, subscribe, whatever you like. And make sure you hit that bell for all I have to tell. Mm -hmm.